Well, good morning. I'm so glad you're here with us, really, as we worship the Lord and come to study his word and hear about his word. And you know, I've been on a sermon series relating to the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm going to continue it this morning. And we do this because the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I believe is the greatest sermon ever made in this world, ever delivered in this world. And why not? Because Jesus Christ himself gave it. And so we learn through Jesus what it means to be a Christian, how we are supposed to live, what's the nature of the character that God wants us to exhibit as we go into a lost world filled with sin. And so today we're going to focus on the beatitude found in Matthew 5, verse 7. <clears throat> and there it said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Well, as we've studied the Beatitudes to date, uh, effectively they have all focused on the emptiness and our need to be filled with God, uh, being poor in spirit, mourning for our condition, approaching the throne of God in meekness and, and seeking God, uh, thirsting, hunger and thirsting for righteousness. Uh, and so Jesus now is going to focus in this next beatitude on our character disposition. How do we exhibit what we have had? What is our character supposed to be like? And so our Lord has carefully chosen the progression of the beatitudes. There is a definite progression of thought here. Uh, and it begins really as Jesus is outlining for you what it means to be born again. Because first it begins with the emptiness of self, uh, emptiness of self, poor in spirit, and then mourning over your condition and mourning over the fact that you're cut off from God. Uh, and then really uh, approaching the, the throne of grace in meekness and humility and reaching out to God and then hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Because you see, as you are in that desperate condition, unless you hunger and thirst for the holiness of God, effectively to be like Jesus, uh, you remain in that lost condition. And now Jesus is going to focus on what kind of character you should have if in fact you have done these things. And so you see the progression. It's critical that you understand the progression because the progression reach really teaches us about the heart of God. And so this, according to Jesus, is what a Christian should be. A Christian should be merciful. Uh, and this becomes a key part of understanding the will of God. Uh, the Christian gospel place, uh, places a primary disposition upon our uh, mindset. What is our heart? What is the essence of our being? It puts a greater emphasis about who you are than on what you do. Jesus will talk about what you do, but Jesus is concerned about who you are. What is your heart like? What is the essence of who you are? Uh, and so this becomes important for us to understand this. The Lord is really concerned about our disposition. Later on, he will talk about specific actions and how we act. But before he does that, before he gets to any actions, he is going to drill down and speak to you about your character, about who you are, where are you in your heart. And so we have to be Christians. 
We have to be a Christian before we can act as Christians. And so you see, the world doesn't understand this. The world thinks that it can ascribe to a certain sense of morality. I hear people talk about the, the fact that the Sermon on the Mount has a lot of good points that even though they're, they're uh, not Christians, they can follow. And that's, it's absolutely not true. If you're not a Christian, you can't live like this. You can't do what, what God has laid out here. It is only with the imposition of the Holy Spirit in your heart that has changed you as you are born again and have a new spirit that allows you to live in the way Jesus is talking about it. And so attitude, attitude as a Christian is even more important than action. The actions take care of themselves if the attitude is taken care of first. It's character that counts in every way. And this is what God wants to change in all of us. And so really from this sermon, we understand fully that for Christians, all of our actions come out of the outcome of our character. It is our very Christianity through the Holy Spirit that controls us. And so we do not take up Christian teaching and apply it. We're not taking, you know, seven rules or eight rules or nine rules and applying it. We don't do that at all. Rather, it is me bowing before the throne of God, filled with the Holy Spirit in humility, asking God to take control of my life that controls me. That's what controls me and causes me to live the kind of life that God would have me live because I am embedded with the Holy Spirit, because Jesus Christ lives in my life. And so the statement of the Apostle Paul is so telling on this issue, and that's found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. That's the essence of what our lives should be like. I've been crucified with Christ. I have given him my life. I have bowed before the throne. I have mourned for my condition. I have mourned and reached out, and God has reached across eternity, and he has saved me, and he has filled me with the Holy Spirit, and that is why Christ lives within me, and that is the nature of understanding the Beatitudes. That's what this is about. Jesus wants Christ to live in every one of our hearts, and so here's the point. The Christian faith is not a veneer. It is not a facade. It is not skin deep. Uh, the Christian faith really proves to be the very essence of who you are at the very center of your heart. It defines you in every way. That is why Jesus spoke about the new birth and being born again, about a new creation and receiving a new nature. You see, here's the point, folks. We can't live like this if we live in our old flesh. We can't live the way Christ wants us to live unless we ask him to create in us a new spirit, unless we give him our lives. And so Jesus is really explaining to you in detail what he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You cannot get to see God unless you are. This is why the Beatitudes are so searching because they show us that even in our ordinary lives, in our everyday lives, if we live according to the will of God, we will be demonstrating to a world what it means, what it means to be sold out for Christ, what it means to be a Christian. And that is what we proclaim. 
the question at issue here today is, are we merciful? What does the Lord mean by this? What does Jesus mean by saying, are we merciful? Well, I'll tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean that you're easygoing or that you're soft or that you really smile at transgression or even law-breaking. None of that. None of that is being merciful as the way the scripture defines it. Uh, and so really, what does it matter? Well, we cannot deny the whole of biblical teaching. None of this can be based on natural temperament. And this is where some people go wrong. They'll look at somebody who's e easygoing um, and, and has an easygoing temperament and just determine, well, this man must be a Christian. No, that has nothing to do with your natural temperament. In fact, what God does is he takes natural temperament and saves you anyway and changes the outcome of that temperament. So if you were the kind of person before who might have been a type A or rather explosive, all right, and seeking somewhat to effectuate revenge, God changes that. You're still a type A, but all of a sudden, when your natural tendency begins to percolate up, the Holy Spirit seizes you and filters you and muzzles you and changes you. Can I get an amen on that? I'm exhibit A for that, by the way. And so this, this is important to understand. This is important to understand because this is an adjective that is applied directly to God himself. God is a merciful God. Every time you read about God in scripture, he's being referred to as mercy. So God never looked on law-breaking with a wink. God never looked on transgression with a wink. And so it's understand that God is holy. He is just, but he is merciful. Uh, and so that becomes important for you to understand this. And so as we drill down on, on the very definition of mercy, as I believe God wants us to understand it, the best way that we can understand what Jesus meant really is to compare grace and mercy because they are different. Grace is associated uh, with men in their sins. God looked down and saw a man in his sins, and he expended grace, forgiving them from their sinful condition. So grace relates to sin. While mercy, on the other hand, is associated really with the miserable condition of men because they sin. God looks down and sees a miserable state of humanity because of all of the symptomology of sins. And as a result of God seeing that in his mercy, he reaches out to humanity as a whole. And so the best way to think about this is that mercy equals pity plus action. That's the formula. Pity plus action. It's not just mere pity. Uh, it's not that we just feel sorry. It is that because of who we are, because of the embedment of the Holy Spirit within our lives, that our, our outward manifestation is not just pity, but mercy. We seek action. We seek to alleviate the pain that exists in the human condition. 
Now, the great biblical example of this is the Good Samaritan, and you know that. And the Good Samaritan, first the priest went by and he had pity. He saw the man lying there bleeding on the road. But what did he do? He went to the other side. All right. Yes, he felt sorry, but he didn't do anything. Then the Levite came, another high religious official. He saw the man also, and he also moved away and went to the other side. But the Samaritan, you see, the Samaritan, the person who would have been an outcast in that culture, the Samaritan saw the man, and because the Samaritan was a godly man, the Samaritan stopped, took the man, packed him up, brought him to an inn, bandaged him up, helped him to heal, paid his bill, and said to the innkeeper, keep him here until he's well. When I come back, I will fully pay his bill. You see, the Samaritan was in the role of Jesus Christ. That's exactly how your Lord is. That's exactly how God is, all right? Because you see, you see mercy being extended uh, because it's, it's pity, but it's action also. And so the central example, really, the central example in Scripture of mercy and being merciful is the act of God in sending Jesus Christ to the cross. Because if God didn't do that, he wouldn't have reached out and salvaged man from his pitiful condition. But God, in his grace, seeing the nature of man that was lost, that was sunk in sin, dwelling in sin, recognized that the only way man could be delivered from this miserable condition if, was if the lifesaver, Jesus Christ himself, would be sent. And so he was moved to action. Pity plus action. That's mercy. He was moved to action. There is no contradiction, please, no contradiction at all between justice and mercy or mercy and truth. God continues to be just. God continues to be righteous, but yet as he looks down on humanity and he takes pity at it, he takes and has mercy towards us. That's why, that's why we should always say, Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, have mercy upon me. Even as I try to follow you and I fail, Lord, have mercy on me. Now, here's the point. Some people, some people misinterpret this beatitude, determining, really, that the only way they obtain mercy from God is to convey mercy to others. Let me repeat that. Some people misinterpret this beatitude by saying that the only way they can obtain mercy from God is if they give mercy to others. I also know people who refuse to say the Lord's Prayer because there is a section there in the Lord's Prayer which says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. And so there are some misguided people that translate that to meaning, well, unless I forgive people, I'm not going to heaven. I'm not going to be saved. Now, you see, that's a, that's a terrible mistake to make because that contradicts uh, Scripture. In everything we do, we define doctrine by doctrine. We define Scripture by Scripture. Scripture never undercuts itself. And so we need to be able to say a consistency a harmony of the gospel. Yes, you're saved, but even though you're saved, you still have to concentrate on the aspect of your character and you need to be merciful. And so we're going to talk about some of these, these important issues. There is a similar passage that Jesus gave 
in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. And if you have your Bible, you can read along with me. And this is, this is the uh, cruel servant, a well-known passage that, again, is often misinterpreted. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked the Lord, How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owned him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay that debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. The fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused instead. He went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over, handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow, Jesus, this seems a little rough. This seems a little rough, Lord. What does it all mean? How can I interpret this, Lord? How can I understand this in terms of what you're telling me in the Beatitudes, what, what I understand about salvation? Well, here's the very simple answer to this. This servant was not saved. Let me make that clear to you. This servant was not saved. He did not have an understanding of what forgiveness was. He did not have an understanding of what true repentance was. And so if you live like this, if you live your life, where your life is reckless and you are not demonstrating mercy at the heart of what you are, then I would say to you, you have to consider whether in fact you have truly received forgiveness from Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Have I truly experienced the forgiveness of God? Because if I have truly forgiven, experienced the forgiveness of God, I must perforce be merciful. 
It can't be any other way. It's the quid pro quo. If I'm saved, then I'm merciful. And if I'm saved, I can be forgiving. And if I'm not saved, then I'm not merciful. And I am not forgiving. And that is why you see uh, here in this ex example, Jesus shows how the master treated him cruelly because that's exactly what God does to humanity that has not reached out and accepted forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And so let us make this perfectly clear as we teach this now. If we were judged strictly on this basis, none of us, none of us would ever be forgiven. And none of us would ever see heaven or see God. If we interpret the beatitude this way and the scripture this way, the entire doctrine of grace and justification by faith would be canceled. That does not happen. You are saved by grace alone through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so scripture must be interpreted by scripture. No scripture contradicts another scripture. There is a conformity of Christian doctrine in every way. And so the Lord is really saying this. He's making it very simple, that the only way I am only truly forgiven is when I am truly repentant. Let me say that again. The only way I am truly forgiven is when I am truly repentant. Uh, to be truly repentant means that I realize I deserve nothing but punishment from God. But for his grace and mercy, he has saved me. And I attribute everything that I have to the love of God, to the mercy of God in every way and for nothing else. I haven't deserved anything but punishment. I deserve to be cut off forever from God because of the nature of my flesh. But somehow he has forgiven me. I have repented. I have asked him to take over my life. And so if I realize that I have received these benefits by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, by necessity, by necessity, I shall forgive those who trespass against me. Can I get an amen, church? This beatitude ties in everything that has gone before in terms of this sermon. Uh, I am poor in spirit. I realize I am broken before God. I have no righteousness. I want to be like God, but I'm so far lost, it's not funny. So as I view God face to face, I see him that I'm, I am so bereft of my own condition. I mourn because of my sin uh, that is within me. And through the operation of the Holy Spirit, I see the very blackness of my heart. And I cry out to God. I cry out to God to save me to save me. I've seen my desperate condition. And in the sight of God, I have hungered and thirsted for the righteousness of God. I want to be like Jesus. Lord, I need your help. And when God sees this, he reaches out across eternity and fills us with the Holy Spirit that allows us to have this kind of character and changes me and reconciles me with forever with God and gives me a new life. Look, Jesus exhibited the supreme example of mercy at the cross. Uh, there he is, the man who was without sin, hanging on that cross, the man who did nothing wrong, who all he did was give his life to save humanity. And there at the base of the cross, he is receiving vituperation after vituperation. And what does the Lord do? Lord, 
Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They do not know what they do. Can you imagine being hung on a cross and murdered by these evildoers and yet looking down and praying for them because he was so filled with the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and so he prayed to the Father to forgive them. Look also at the great example of the martyr Stephen. Look at that, who did nothing wrong but preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and confronted those in the Sanhedrin about their own conduct and failure and responsibility for murdering Christ. And so as they heaped stone upon stone on this delightful, blessed man, he looked up to heaven and he looked up to heaven and said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Can you imagine that someone could act like that? Well, of course, not in his humanity, but in the, in the spirit of, of the Holy Spirit, motivating him and changing him and giving him a new life. This is how we act. This is what the world sees. Do you think any person who saw that would not be changed forever? Well, there was one person who saw it. How about Paul? How about Saul? That was his name then, who was there and was had some responsibility for that very act as he held the clothing of the evildoers so that they could effectuate these stoning upon Stephen. And yet he saw it. He saw it. And we know that that must have been in his mind and convicted him. That's what the world needs to see. This changed life that we have that completely eviscerates the way we lived before, but shows that now we walk in the light of the Holy Spirit. All of these things follow inevitably when we follow the Beatitudes, when we give Christ our life. They all follow naturally. Uh, when we follow this, we have no pride left in ourselves. We are humbled by, by what God has done for us. And we have had sorrow because of our sin uh, and our sinful condition. And so because of all this, I recognize that but for the intervening grace of God, I would be lost forever. And that is how I look at the world. I now have sorrow for the world. I pray for the world. Because they were, they are now where I was. And that's what God wants from this. And so all of these things that we've gone through follow inevitably. If you are merciful, you have mercy in this way. You have it every time you sin. Because when you realize what you have done, how you, how you have really uh, gone against God's way, you are convicted, you come back to God, and you say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a poor sinner. And when you're on your knees, when you're on your knees asking for mercy, you will be convicted of all these things. Uh, and you will be convicted, moreover, to those to whom you have not extended mercy. God will bring that home to you. Mercy and forgiveness. As David puts it uh, in Psalm 66, Verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Oh, that's pretty serious. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I have resentment and unforgiveness and seek revenge in my heart, and then I think I'm going to pray, that pray won't, prayer won't go three feet up. 
God will not listen to you. You heard that directly from David, the great prophet. And so if you are not forgiving your brother, you can ask God for forgiveness, but you will have no confidence in your prayer. And your prayer will not be answered. It's a very serious subject. This is exactly what the Lord said in that parable, you see? And in the Beatitude, the cruel servant was not forgiven because the one condition of forgiveness is repentance. Repentance means, among other things, that I have no claim upon God at all and that it is only through his grace and mercy that I am forgiven. It therefore follows that the man who has been truly, truly forgiven realizes his position face to face with God and recognizes that he has nothing but for the forgiveness of God. And so of necessity, he must be merciful to others. The quid pro quo. If I'm saved, if I am forgiven, if I am truly repented, then perforce, perforce, I must be merciful. There can be no other way. It has to be. And if you find that you are not, then I suspect that you need to get back on your knees, ask God to refill you with the Holy Spirit, and to teach you again about what real forgiveness means. And now I want to give you a personal example in my own life uh, as to how this really relates to me. And because you understand how I lived my life and what I did for a profession, um, and, and uh, I'm not really happy with everything that I did when I practiced law, but I, I worked with the light that I have, and God has given me greater light now. And so some months ago, I had the opportunity to come face-to-face -face with a prime persecutor of me at the prior church. This was a man uh, who uh, led a fight against me, blasphemed me publicly, slandered me publicly, lied about me publicly to thousands of people. Uh, and he didn't just do it to me, he did it to other people as well. And so I was at a public gathering and somehow God put us together and I saw him. And so I walked up to him and I could see when I walked up to him, he was filled with trepidation. But I walked up to him and I said, I, I just want you to know that I have forgiven you for everything that you did. I hold, I hold and harbor no malice towards you. I don't have any anger towards you. In fact, I pray for you. And I want you to know this. He was stunned when he heard this. He didn't know what to say. And I said, and really what I say to you is what Joseph said to his brothers. Well, after seeing his brothers, after 16 years, knowing that his brothers sold him into slavery, he said to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now, do you think that I could say this within my own natural temperament? My own temperament would have been to grab his windpipe just to get his attention. But you understand how the Holy Spirit changes us? This is an inspiring story. And then let me say something else. I'm also aware that there are churches that are now filled with dissension and anger and malice. 
And so now how do churches address this? Do they address this by getting on your knees and begging God to forgive us? No, instead, what do they do? They will bring in uh, mediators to promote reconciliation. Well, where in the Beatitudes does it say there shall be mediators promoting reconciliation? There's only one mediator, God alone, Jesus Christ. That's the mediator. It is only through the Holy Spirit that your life changes. I don't care if you bring in a thousand mediators. Do you think you're going to change the spirit of a church? Never. Never. It is the convicting power of God through the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on your people, Lord. Bring the truth home, Father. Bring the truth home. And you know, it reminds me about seven or eight years ago, there was a guy who would come to my Bible studies. Uh, and one day I ran into him. I hadn't seen him anymore. Uh, and, he's, and I said, hey, how are you doing? And he said, well, you know, you're, you're just not for everybody. You're not just for everybody. And, you know, I prayed about it and I realized it. What is it about me that's not for everybody? Well, it's pretty simple. I'm not a coach, all right? I'm not a guy that pumps you up. All I am is a guy that preaches the word of God. And guess what? Some people don't want to hear the convicting word of God. And I thank God for you, church, that you come out and have a hunger for that, that God is changing you and listening. Because the only way you will be changed is through the power of the word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you become a merciful person. That is how your life changes forever. And so this is the essence of this message. I want everyone here to focus on themselves, to look back and say, Father, am I merciful? Am I forgiving? Uh, and, and if I am not, then clearly the only answer is that I have never truly understood, understood the power of forgiveness from the Lord. It means I'm outside of Christ, and I am not yet really forgiven in my sins. Are you merciful? You answer that question yourself. Are you forgiving? You answer that question yourself. But God, God clearly says to you, you must be merciful. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for this message. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy, Lord, and the forgiveness that you've given us, that we were so outside of your will, and yet you gave us the lifesaver for no other reason that you pitied us and loved us. Father, help us to understand what that forgiveness and repentance means and help us to leave here and to go out to a lost world and to show what it means to be sold out to you in every way. Lord, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I bless you, church.